very hard for me to approach this every time I do. I try to deal with this passage in particular at least once a year. I feel like it's core to our understanding as believers and really needs to be drilled into us. Um, this is a rough one for Jesus because the parable of the sower, which I've extracted from the text, is a part of a long dialogue of uh, conversations Jesus had with people and messages that he gave. And at the end of the chapter, if you like studying your Bible and you want to go check, at the end of this chapter, after Jesus finished teaching and preaching about this, uh, the Bible said, aren't you the, the carpenter, the, the son of Mary? Uh, and, and they were offended at him. They wouldn't honor him. And the Bible says he could only do a couple of miracles in that place because of their unbelief. In other words, when you compare the intention and the heart of God for these people, and when you compare the excellence of ministry that Jesus invested into these people versus the return he received back, this was a wasted and a failed trip. You, you see Jesus Christ himself walking away without the result that he wanted because of the hardness of the people's heart. So it's emotional to read this and to study it in its context. It's emotional to see Jesus uh, grappling and wrestling and struggling to get the people to believe and to receive what he's saying. So I always struggle with it too. I feel the heart of God and the weight of God every time I study it and every time I read it. And I also feel the fear that I never want to be one of the first three types of ground. But I fear that at times in my life I have been. I think at times in all of our lives we have fallen into one of the three negative categories. And, and the aim is to live and grow and to mature to the point where you can be number four, good ground. So anyway, I always struggle with how to start. So I figured we would start this way. Three main reasons Jesus came in the first place. So three main reasons for Jesus to come. Number one, and these are in priority. Number one, he came to purchase our redemption by his sacrifice. If you're going to understand anything in your faith at all, you got to have that understanding. Your salvation is not something that is earned or that accrues over time with good behavior. Your salvation was purchased by the sacrifice of Jesus and then given to you as a gift by faith. Okay. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 underscores this underscores this if you'll put it on the screen first Peter 1 18 and 19 again this is the the first point uh, that Jesus came to purchase our redemption he says knowing that you were not redeemed by corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers next verse but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot when you think about your salvation, you have to understand that it was something that was purchased by Jesus' sacrifice and then given to you as a gift. That's the number one reason why Jesus came. God so loved the world that he gave. 
his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the number one reason Jesus came. Jesus came to purchase our redemption. Number two, second reason Jesus came is to establish the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. So understand that when Jesus comes onto the scene, he enters into a broken world. He enters into a fallen world, a world stained by sin, and a world that has many kingdoms operating in it. Uh, that is antiquated. The, the word kingdom is antiquated terminology. Uh, let me just say systems of this world. So like in America today, there's many systems or many kingdoms that are operating. There's the financial system, okay? Uh, things like uh, credit and uh, how, uh, you know, purchasing real estate and purchasing investments and different things work. It, it, it's a system. Uh, there, there's rules to the system. Know, and I'm using system and kingdom interchangeably, but there's rules to the system. And if you don't know the rules, you cannot play the game. Anybody that's ever been surprised when you're coming up to your closing date will tell you there's all kind of rules and sometimes you don't find out about them until the very last minute. But, but it's a kingdom. It's a system. Uh, there's a government system. Uh, I, we, we're going through customs uh, coming back from my wife's birthday trip, we were going through customs and I, I was reminded of the government system that is operating in our nation. So there's all types of systems and kingdoms as it is today. So it was when Jesus came into the world, there were all types of systems operating. And so Jesus comes secondly to establish and create an entryway to the kingdom of God, how that kingdom works, how that kingdom operates, the culture of that kingdom. And he came to establish it in the middle, in the midst of all of the kingdoms of this world. And then number three, uh, actually, let me give the scripture for that. I do see some note takers, which blesses my heart. Uh, Matthew four seventeen. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you go through Jesus' messages, you'll hear a lot of content, a lot of information, a lot of teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, God's system. So he comes, number one, he purchases our redemption by shedding his blood. Number two, he comes to establish a way for people to enter the kingdom of God even though they've previously only been dealing with the kingdoms of this world. And then finally, number three, third reason Jesus came is to, oh, I like this one, is to destroy the works of the devil. I really like that. Third reason Jesus came is to actively destroy and assault the works of the devil. And this is from 1 John 3, 8. I love the way the scripture says this one. 1 John 3, verse 8. For, for this purpose, pick up where it says for this purpose. Can you see it in that third line? For this purpose, for this 
purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. When we talk about spiritual attack, we often in charismatic Pentecostal uh, circles, we often talk about spiritual attack from the perspective of the enemy attacking us. What we don't realize is the primary attacker in the spirit world is Jesus Christ. He came to destroy the works of the devil in the lives of people who will receive him. And so uh, Jesus is, is hunting, as it were, for the works of the devil in your life. The things the enemy has tried to fight you with and tried to hurt you with and tried to abuse you with and tried to sow negative, uh, you know, tears in the midst of your field. The spirit of Jesus is literally looking and hunting, waiting to try to find out and then root out and destroy the works of the devil. Now, next question, after we've established those three reasons Jesus came, next question is, what is the kingdom of God? And that's a good one. Heard about it all my life. Haven't really ever heard it defined uh, as, as thoroughly as I've heard it taught just generally. What is the kingdom of God? It might help you to, to know the definition of the word kingdom. Kingdom. King's domain. It's the borders or the territory of a king's authority and governance where his rule is enforced above all others, okay? So the kingdom of God is the borders and the territory of God's authority where his will and his way and his culture and his desire is uh, established and lifted up above all others. Now, if God is as powerful as he is, and he is, uh, then why did Jesus have to bring the teaching of the kingdom? Why did Jesus have to open up a pathway for people to enter the kingdom of God? Isn't, is, isn't everything already God's? Well, consider with me we, we got to go back to Genesis, our ancient grandparents. When God created the world, he looked at Adam and Eve and he gave them the authority and the dominion over the world. He looked at them after he had finished creating and he said, be fruitful, multiply and take dominion. He tossed them the keys of authority and of dominion. And then they fell into sin, tempted by Satan. And because they did not have kids before they fell, all of humanity, all of mankind, fell into sin with them. This is the doctrine of original sin. All of mankind fell into sin, and man is now born into sin because of the fall. And when uh, Adam and Eve fell to the temptation of Satan, they handed him the keys of authority in the earth. Uh, because 
every time you violate a commandment of God, you give the enemy the keys to that area over your life. It's not that there's not grace and it's not that God doesn't love you, but you were the one that handed away the keys. If you violate what God says about how to do finances, then you hand the keys of authority over to the enemy as it pertains to your financial life. If you violate what God says in his word about marriage, then you hand the keys of authority and dominion in your marriage over to the enemy. And you can be saved and God can still love you. You can still go to heaven and have a terrible time of it on earth in your marriage because you violated what God God said, uh, along with disobedience, is not just, oh, I disappointed God, I didn't do what he said. Along with every act of disobedience, there's an exchange of keys. You give your keys away in that area. And so Adam and Eve gave their keys away, gave their authority away. And so when Jesus comes, the, the, the second reason he comes is to establish a pathway back into the system, the governance, the culture, and the rule of the kingdom of God back in the earth after it had been lost. So you understand, Jesus comes into a broken world. I was thinking about this this week. We're, we're just living in such a broken world. You know, you got a, a, a psychotic, demon-possessed racist driving across the country just to see how many African-American people he can shoot. It's a broken world. In the most prosperous nation in the world, you got gas prices out of control. It's a broken world. We sent $40 billion across the world to Ukraine and can't put baby formula on the shelves? It's a broken world. And I don't want to hear anything about supply shortages. A billion dollars would make a lot of that go away. You'd be amazed what a billion dollars would make go away. And we, we spent $40 billion on, on someone else's war. And, and, and the war here is how are we going to feed our infants? It's a broken world. And, and Jesus comes, as it is today, so it was back then, Jesus comes into a broken world. And, and make sure you understand this. God didn't create a broken world. We broke it. And, and so, number one, he comes to pay the price of our redemption. But number two, he comes to enter a pathway so Mankind can step back into the kingdom of God, the kingdom way of doing things, kingdom terminology, the kingdom way to raise a family, the kingdom way to do finances, the kingdom way to walk in divine health. Jesus brings that pathway back. And so the kingdom is very much, you could simplify it, the kingdom of God is very much just about restoration. Restoration. Restoration to what? Restoration to God's original intent for creation. Restoration for God's original intent and purpose for our lives in the earth. That's what the kingdom is about. 
restoration. Leave that slide up there for just a moment because I just want to show you one little thing I found that underscores that biblically. You could boil all of the miracles that Jesus did you boiled it all the way down, reduced it real good, left it simmer for a while. You could boil it all the way down to just acts of restoration. The one miracle he performed more than any other was the healing of the blinded eye. Look at what Mark 8:25 says about this one instance where he healed a man. It says, then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he was. He was almost there. He was. It doesn't necessarily. Now, of course, we understand he was healed. But I like this scripture because it doesn't necessarily focus on the healing. It uses this word that gets to the heart of all of the miracles. He was just restored in his eyes to God's original intention for creating eyes. When God created Adam and Eve and made their eyes, he didn't make them blind. It was the curse that entered the world, the fall into sin that entered the world that caused diseases and caused people to be born blind or get diseases in their eyes and lose their sight. God didn't do any of that. He wasn't the source of any of that. Okay. So, so when Jesus performs the miracle for this man, he's simply just restoring the man to God's original intention for when he made eyes. When Jesus healed the lame limbs of the man who could not move, all he was doing is restoring the man's mobility back to the original intent of God creating mobility. When he healed Peter's mother-in-law, he was just taking her back to the original intention that God had designed. When he raised Lazarus from the dead after four days he had been dead from a sickness that took his life, all he was doing is restoring his original intention. So, so the miracles were not standalones. They weren't separate things from the kingdom. That's why I did not put in the top three reasons Jesus came. I didn't put he came to work miracles because he did not. He came, number one, to purchase our redemption. Number two, to establish the kingdom of heaven. All of the miracles he performed fell into that second heading because the miracles were just an advertisement that in this kingdom, there is no blindness. In this kingdom, there's nobody lame. In this kingdom, there's no untimely death. In this kingdom, there is no lack. Even turning water into wine was an advertisement of the kingdom of God because in the kingdom of God, you don't run out of anything. In the kingdom of God, you don't lack anything. In the kingdom of God, you don't lose anything. So it was just advertising the kingdom of God. And the kingdom is about restoration. And so the question is, if we look at the third heading, if Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and the scripture says that he did, if he came to destroy the works of the devil, how does he do that? It's a good question, if you lean your mind into it. How does Jesus actively destroy the works of the devil? Because if some of us are honest, we'll be saying, the devil's been working overtime in my life. 
working in my family, working in my finances, working on my refrigerator. You know, whose refrigerator goes out as soon as summer starts? Who, whose AC goes out as soon as summer starts? Who needs $5,000 of car repair, you know, right when gas prices reach their, their peak? You know, it's like, it seems like the devil's working overtime, and, and you read that scripture, you say, for this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Here's the caveat to that. The way Jesus actively, this isn't passive. We, we so often see Jesus as our defender. You know, he, he steps up for us after the bullies got a few good licks in on us. But, but this is aggressive. For this purpose was the Son of Man manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And you say, well, why ain't any of that destroying the works of the devil stuff working in my life? It's because it's this caveat here. He only destroys the works of the devil actively inside the kingdom. So as long as you've got one foot in the kingdoms and systems of this world and one foot in the kingdom of God, you're going to have a little bit of heaven and a little bit of hell. Understand what I'm saying? As, as, as long as you do marriage 50% God's way and 50% the way everyone in the world does it, See, that's what we're talking about here when we say kingdom. I hate that word, kingdom. Uh, just, I don't hate the word because it's the Bible. I hate what we've done to it today and I understand. It just means your way of doing things, your cultures, your established norms, the ruling guidelines of how you see the world and how you live your life. There is a kingdom of God way to live your life. Your everyday, I ain't talking about stuff in here in church and this ain't a shouting message, so don't get nervous. It's a way of doing life. It's a way of living outside of here. Like when you go home, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of communicating. It's a way of being. It's a way of dreaming. It's a way of planning. It is a way that you live your life. And as long as you got one foot in the way the world lives their life, and you start looking at your relationship and comparing your relationship to the way the world does it, comparing your finances to the way the world does it, comparing your success to the way the world does it, as long as you got one foot in there and then you got one foot in here on Sunday and Wednesday hearing me preach a little bit about the kingdom of heaven, you are always going to have a little bit of both. The caveat to Jesus destroying the works of the devil is that only happens with both feet planted firmly inside the kingdom of God. How we talk in the kingdom of God, how we believe in the kingdom of God, how we act in the kingdom of God, how we live in the kingdom of God, how we give in the kingdom of God, how we deal with each other in the kingdom of God. When you live that way, it unleashes the destroying power of Jesus, the yoke-breaking power of Jesus. To actively hunt out any brokenness in your life and destroy it. Let, let, me, let me say this to you, and I hope it offends you. Whatever brokenness 
you have in your life right now today sitting in those seats, whatever area it's in, the kingdom of God is against that brokenness. God didn't create that brokenness. God has no desire for it to stay in your life. The only reason it has any license to be there is because of where your foot is planted. Something you're doing or not doing. Something you're saying, a way of thinking, a way of understanding, a way of believing, a paradigm that is outside and counter to the culture of the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not saying nothing will ever happen to you in the kingdom of God. I'm saying when it does, Jesus, with the full authority of the kingdom, starts working against it, starts dismantling and destroying it. So the problem with this is, well, pastor, how is the kingdom of God established in our lives? And this is the most difficult part. This is why more Christians don't see more manifestation, more power, and more victory. Because the kingdom of God is established in our lives through listening. Now, this is counterintuitive because every other kingdom that we've ever learned about, ever studied, or know about, or seen operate, all the natural kingdoms of this world are established through force, through dominance, through violence. But this kingdom is established by, by hearing, hearing the word, which means, this is a note for you, listening is the primary skill in the kingdom of God. I'm going to say it again because I like it. Listening is the primary skill in the kingdom of God. You must listen to the word of God. And then Jesus said that word, understand. What he's not saying is that you have to totally grasp every new biblical and scriptural concept you're taught. That's not what he's saying. There's a lot of stuff I'm still grasping at trying to understand. What he means is reaching to grab it, reaching to grasp it, okay? Have you, ever, have you ever reached for something and then you had to reach again? That's the, the undertone in that word in the Greek. It, it's reaching, trying to, trying to get a hold of it, trying to grasp it. You don't have to totally grasp it. It's in the reaching for it to grasp it that the power begins to invade your life. You don't have to totally understand everything that I'm saying, but in the reaching to understand it, that's where the power of God begins to invade your life and the pathway, the portal of the kingdom of heaven begins to open to you. And without this reaching and grasping to understand what you are hearing when you're hearing the word of the kingdom, without that reaching and grasping, you never have the ability to enter into the force and the power of the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, it's, it's such a strange thing for us to approach and to comprehend. It, it is not like a big, massive boulder 
that smashes into the ground with a lot of force. A boulder can transform the soil, create a huge crater in it, but it's only transforming from the outside through dominance, through weight, through force. The kingdom of God enters the soil quietly like a seed. And instead of producing transformation externally on the outside first, it does its work internally and then explodes on the outside into manifestation of new life and produces something that was not there before. The kingdom of God, the desire of God in his kingdom is that your life be producing something out of it that wasn't there before. All right. So when Jesus is teaching about the kingdom in this text, I love the brilliance of it because he frames the teaching style through an agricultural analogy. He says, the kingdom, it's, uh, it's like a seed that fell on four different types of soil, the soil being the hearer, those listening to the word or the seed of the kingdom. And in verse 18 and 19 of Matthew chapter 13, Matthew 13, 18 and 19, he says, hear, listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, everyone say the word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom. You have to have somebody that's willing to, you have to have two things. You have to have somebody that's willing and capable of preaching you the word. And then you have to have somebody listening that is willing and capable of receiving the word. What I hate about my job is success in my job is a two-way street. No matter how good I am at saying it, you have to be just as good at receiving it. And that's for any church, any preacher. He says, when you hear the word of the kingdom and you don't grab for it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. And this is the person who received seed by the wayside. Okay. Uh, so Jesus is about to warn about three types of ground, three types of heart conditions. Three types of ways of thinking and living and being and three types of perspectives that will prevent kingdom manifestation in your life. And the first one is the hard heart. Everyone say the hard heart. What is Jesus saying when he talks about the, the hard heart? He's talking about ground that can't be penetrated. It's not that the seed wasn't sown. It's just that the soil was so hard, it bounced off. The seed was good. The soil was bad. What's he mean? The hard heart is the group of people who try to process spiritual truths with the intellect only, purely from an analytical and intellectual perspective, void of any faith. See, your faith is your grabber. It's your grasper, okay? Your mind is your processor, okay? So your mind will reject 
anything it cannot automatically process or understand. But your faith on the inside is your grabber where you reach for stuff that your mind doesn't totally understand. And so Jesus said, you can't just hear the word and try to process with your mind. You also have to reach with your faith to grasp at what your mind does not totally understand. And so if all you're working with is your processor, it's possible you have a hard. So no matter how good the seed is, it will not work for you because it's bouncing off of here. And never getting in here. The seed cannot germinate where it does not penetrate. The hard heart. So many people get stuck on this because one of the reasons is, <laughs> I just make everybody mad, we spend so little time in church. You don't need your faith in the office on Monday morning. Lord, I'm just believing that this report gets typed out. In the name of Jesus, Father, I'm going to lift my hands to you. You better put your hands down and type that report. All faith in the world ain't going to type that report for you. You better type that report. You don't need your faith in every in everyday life, in everyday circumstance, you're not always grabbing with your faith, you know? I, I, in fact, I can't stand those people. You know, you walk, you run into them at the gas station. How you doing? Oh, shanarabaho. And they start speaking in tongues and get all spiritual or have a word for you while you're pumping gas. It just, it, it's, it's weird, you know, the people that, that pray and ask the Lord if they should brush their teeth in the morning and pray and ask the Lord what color Kool-Aid to drink and pray and ask the, all these weird things. That's weird. It's not faith. It's weird. It's just weird. You need your faith when it comes to God. Stuff having to do with God. Stuff having to do with the word of God. Stuff having to do with the principles of God and the kingdom of God. That's where you need your faith. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. So faith has to do with the things of God. So because we have to live you know, 24-7, using our processor, when we come into church, if you don't flip that switch and engage that faith, that reacher, that thing that reaches for stuff that the processor can't totally understand, then church is not being profitable to you. Reading your Bible, when you read that, when you open that Bible in the morning, you, you can't just be using that processor. Because if you're only using that processor, there's going to be some times you wake up and you don't feel like reading that Bible. Sit there and look at me if you want to. There's going to be times when you go to praying to God where you get down and you're just praying with your processor and you can't feel nothing because you're just working with your processor. You listen to a message, it don't do nothing for you because you're just listening with your processor. But when you get your faith involved and your faith starts grabbing to try to take hold of that thing and you got your processor and your faith engaged, then you can say a 30-second prayer, have tears streaming down your face, feel the Holy Ghost rush into your car or your room, but you, but you got to So the hard heart is the person that's 
They're just using the mind. They're not engaging the, the faith. Is your heart, is your heart hard? You know, are you in that stage? Oh, it's one out of four. For sure. Okay? It's 25% of the room right now. Is it you? Is your heart hard? Have you ever been truly in awe from a word you've received? And yet you didn't totally understand why you felt that way about it. Have you ever been in the presence of God and felt something that you didn't understand what you were feeling, but you knew that you felt it? <sighs> you ever been singing a song or just praying a prayer and all of a sudden, sudden something come over you? And, and, and it may not be like that all the time, but you have felt it, you know. Okay. Or, or is it all just an intellectual approach? Do you struggle believing promises of God when the promise looks nothing like what you're experiencing in your everyday life? You may be dealing with a hard heart. Number two, the shallow heart. The shallow heart. Verse 20, but he who receives the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet... He has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when trouble or tribulation or persecution arise, because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now this group, there's a lot of people in this group. There's a lot of people in this room in this group. So be careful when you shout. This group receives the word immediately with joy. You better preach that word, pastor. I remember we had this lady that went to the church years ago that had Tourette's. Why are you laughing? I mean, it's a real thing. And, and I mean, I loved her. I wish she still came because, man, she was the spice of the service. She, she would pick two uh, cuss words. That it's a compound cuss word that goes together. And she would stand up when I'd be preaching. She, she'd say, you better preach that word. And, you know, there, there are some people that just, they enjoy receiving the preaching of the word of God. And they will receive it immediately with joy. But Jesus said the challenge with them is they don't last long. They were in here shouting all over your pocketbook in January, crying, running around the church, and they're not here in May. Why? They didn't last long. And Jesus said the reason these people don't last long is there's no deep root in them. There's no root. So when trouble comes, when tribulation comes, in the earlier part when he was just talking to the crowd, he said when the heat from the sun in the heat of the day rises up on these plants, they immediately die. Because it's only above level. It's only surface. There's nothing deep down inside. And so these people... 
they, I, I call them the shallow heart because the truth is they are coming to God with shallow intentions. Listen to me, all, all of you who are hurting today because you're going through trouble, going through tribulation, going through persecution. Listen to me. Trouble and persecution will reveal your deepest motive for serving God in the first place. See, most people don't want to serve God. Most people want God. The heart of their faith is they really do believe at their deepest level. They really do believe that Jesus came to give you a happy life. The Bible doesn't say that. Where'd you get that from? The Bible doesn't say that. Now, there are things that bring joy that go along with Jesus, absolutely. God never guaranteed you'd have a happy life free of any persecution, trials, or storms. And, and so be, because we come with a shallow uh, approach, we get a shallow result. Okay. And so these people, when something bad happens, you know, they immediately turn on their faith. I never believed in God anyway. What good is it to serve God? Nothing ever good happens to me. If God would allow this in my life, he ain't no kind of God that I'm wanting to serve. And they immediately twist it. You know, they immediately turn it on God. And all that does is reveals the root was never deep. Listen to me. There's thousands of promises from God that are beneficial to your life. None of them should be primary to your root of faith. Told you it wasn't a shouting message. Just sit there. We're almost through it. You are going to fail at this miserably, so let me save you the time. You're going to fail at this miserably if the deepest root of your faith is not this. It has to be this. If God don't do nothing else for me, he saved my soul. He redeemed my life from destruction. He sent his only son to bleed and die on the cross for me. If he never answers another prayer, if he never doles out another blessing, if he never gives me anything else that I ask for, he's already done more than I could ever deserve in my lifetime. The, the root, look, 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 I'm glad you're standing, but, but listen, the root has to go to your redemption. The root of your faith has to always go down to your redemption. If the root of your faith is the blessing of God, you ain't going to last long. If the root of your faith is walking in health and wealth, you ain't going to last long. You're going to get sick sometimes. Loving Jesus, loving God, reading the word, you're going to get sick sometimes. You're going to go through financial storms sometimes. Your kids are going to get in trouble sometimes. You're going to have to bury some people sometimes. Your heart's going to be broken sometimes. You have to have something deeper than the plan and the joy of life to anchor your root to. Whoa, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm teaching though, I'm teaching. When Job went through the hardest season of his life, he buried his children, all of his children. 
He lost his business. He lost his resources. He lost his health. Boils broke out all over his body. He lost a good relationship with his wife. She hated him and wanted to split up. When Job had nothing else with which to anchor his faith, he stood back and anchored it to his redemption and said, I know my redeemer lives. I don't know if we're going to stay married. I don't know if I'm ever going to have another kid. I don't know if my business will rebound. I don't know if the economy will change. I don't know if things will ever look up for me. But I do know this. I know my redeemer the one that bought me, the one that shed his blood for me, the one that paid the price so my sins could be washed away. I know my... So, all right, all right. So the root has always got to be tied to the redemption. That means if the gospel has never gripped you or excited you, and you only love to come to church to hear about prosperity... And listen, I'm a prosperity preacher. I believe in it. I live it. I walk in it. But that can't be the main thing. That can't be the root. Pastor, I'm here because I'm believing God to get my son off drugs. That's noble. And I believe you should pray for your son to get off drugs. But if that's your root, you will come and most likely, by God's grace, get what you need and go. I've seen it all my life. I've seen family members of my own that I love get in a crisis. A crisis that would affect the next 50 or 60 years in our family. They don't serve God. They don't live for God. They don't love God. But when that crisis came, they ran in here and they worked a couple of kingdom principles and by God's grace got their miracle and they bounced. Why? Shallow heart. No root. Is that you? Now you see why after Jesus preached this, they went to him and politely asked him to leave. This isn't the, the loaves and fishes message. But we're not living in a loaves and fishes time. Have you been watching the news? Do you see what is happening in this world, in the kingdoms of this world? And it ain't getting better. Jesus said, as the days go on, it will get worse and worse. So, so occasionally you need somebody who loves you to come by, do a root check.
Because if you ain't got a root, oh, Jesus, the days that are coming will destroy you. If you ain't got a root down in the blood of Jesus, down in the cross, down in your sanctification and redemption by faith in him, if your root doesn't go all the way down to whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If your root isn't repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If those things aren't your, if your root is no weapon formed against me or prosper, I mean, it's 11.57, leave if you need to. What are we doing? Expensive as gas is, why'd you drive here? Truth is, you could have saved anywhere depending on your vehicle making model. You could have saved anywhere from $13 to $26 staying at home this morning. Why'd you come? If there's a lot of reasons, I get that. I'm not dense. But if the, if the deepest, most beautiful core of it you got this wrong, okay? You do. I'm going to help you. You got it wrong. Hate me if you want to. I, I love you. That's why I'm preaching it. I, I got a message that'd make you happy. Promise. Yeah, my wife said, she said, you almost preached it. I, I told my wife late last night, I said, I got I to gotta change my whole message. But anyway, listen. Most people think deep down. That the heart of their condition is, I'm a sufferer in need of a solution. And because you're not a total idiot and you do not believe that two random particles of gas and rocks collided in space and made the world, you've come to the logical conclusion that that solution for your suffering must be God. You got it wrong. We are not sufferers in need of a solution. We are sinners in need of a savior. We are more corrupted and wicked than we could ever possibly imagine. We don't live up to our own standards for ourselves, much less God's. We are sinful, deceivers, liars, lusters, gossipers, backbiters. And we deserve the wrath and the judgment of God for our own deeds. But Jesus. Ooh. And you can't shout about it because it ain't your root. I just came to reveal what the real thing is. I said, but Jesus. Paul said, but God, who is rich in mercy, while we were yet sinners still sinning and enjoying our sin, 
Christ died for the ungodly. He shed his blood when we did not deserve it and loved us with an incomprehensible love. Gave us life and the choice to choose against it. Shed his blood. He shed his blood to purchase the passage from this kingdom, the kingdoms of this world, into the kingdom of God. But then loved you so much he didn't want to force it on you because love is not love in the absence of options. So real love will never take away your option. Number three, the divided heart. If you weren't one or two, The divided heart. The divided heart. Verse 22. Now he who received seed among thorns. Say it with me. Seed, seed. among thorns. Notice Jesus said he received it. It wasn't sun scorched. It didn't fall by the wayside. This one received it. He who received seed among thorns is he who hears the word. This one hears the word too. Grabs at it, understands it, reaches for it, has intellect and faith operating. He hears the word, the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. The divided heart. These are real, committed, fruitful Christians. But the seed of the word fell among the thorns, which are the cares of this world. So the fruit is there, but the thorn is there too. Committed to the kingdom of God, but also committed to the things of this world. So Christ must share control of this person. He is Lord of their life, just not every part. You can't make me doubt him. I know too much about him. But we can't make you leave the world either because you know too much about that too. So, so, Jesus is Lord of my life. And you'll stand up with tears streaming down your freckled face. Jesus is Lord of my life. You even got your doctrine straight. You, you know the words. You can quote more than five scriptures. And Jesus is Lord. You ain't bowing down to no other God. You ain't bowing down to no other idol. Jesus is Lord. 
until his word restrains your sexuality. Not Lord of that, no. I'm going to do sex how I want to. Jesus is Lord of my life. Until his word tells you how to deal with your money. Jesus is Lord of my life. Oh! Is he Lord? Yes, he is. Until his will and word and the way of doing things in his kingdom begin to infringe upon your preferred lifestyle. So you got too much God to be all in with the world, but too much world. So now we're back, if you remember an hour ago, to where I started. And you're in the kingdom but you're not changing. And you're in the kingdom, but you don't have manifestation. And you're in the kingdom, but you don't have transformation. Everything you used to do, you still do. Some of you even a little worse. I am saved by the grace. Whatever I want to do, I'm just going to do. I am saved by grace. Love abounding, mercy found me. I am saved by grace. My estimation is this is where most Christians, church-going Christians, tithing Christians, God-loving Christians live their lives in between two kingdoms, serving God with a divided The sad thing is, the sad thing is, is when you have a divided heart, you can't be fulfilled by either God or the world because they're sharing 50% of the occupancy. So you always walk around feeling a little bit empty because you're not full of God, but you're also not full of the world. And so... And so the, the question becomes, well, what do you do? Kicked us all day, Pastor. What, what's the solution? You know, what do you do if you've got 
a hard heart or a shallow heart with no root or a divided heart? The answer is, is in what Jesus quoted from Isaiah earlier in the chapter. I didn't focus on it in the text. But Jesus says, in fact, you can put it on the screen. I don't want you to think I'm making it up. Verse 15, for the, uh, Matthew 13, 15, I'm sorry. For the heart, watch this terminology, watch this language. For the hearts of this people, what? Have grown dull. That's interesting to me that it would say it like that. Grown dull. You have to understand your heart is in a perpetual state of growth. You are either growing sharper and more sensitive to God's word. Or you are growing he says their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes have closed lest they should see with their eyes hear with their ears understand with their hearts is that word again no understand remember grab understand with their hearts and turn there it is so that I should heal them the, the first if you got bad ground Let's just talk about it. There's some bad ground in here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've all been it. Yeah. One time or another. If your ground's messed up, the first step is seeing and hearing or recognizing. You know what? My ground's messed up. And you can't do it unless God sends his word to reveal. So if somewhere in the message today, you started thinking, you know what? My ground might be messed up. That, that's a good sign. That's a great sign. That's a positive sign. Because it means you're awakening to the recognition of the problem. Okay? You can't repent from what you have not recognized is a problem. You can't turn and go in the right direction if you don't know you're going in the. The most beautiful thing about this, he's not even telling you to fix it. Because the problem is, Ronald, in this analogy he's teaching, I'm the ground. He's the sower, sowing the seed of the kingdom, which is his word, into my heart. How does the ground fix itself? How does the ground fix itself? The answer is, you can't. All the ground can do, the hard heart, or the shallow heart, or the divided heart, all the ground can do is cry out to the gardener, the one who sowed the seed in the first place. Repent and turn and acknowledge with your words. In Isaiah later, after the passage Jesus quoted, Isaiah talked to the people about bringing their words to God and saying, God, you know what? I realize, I realize today my heart, my heart is hard. Or I realize today 
that my intentions for following you are shallow, or I realize today that I have a divided heart, God, would you heal me? Would you help me repent? David prayed this same prayer. He said, take out of me this heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, a heart that can feel again, a heart that can be sensitive again. But, but, but more than the prayer, I mean, the prayer is important. It is important to pray it. But more than the prayer is the recognition and the awaking from the sleep we've been in, not realizing why there's not more change, why there's not more manifestation, why there's not more power, and I'm scared. The times we are living in, you cannot afford to be a lukewarm Christian. The times we are living in, it's deadly to have one foot in and one foot out. Because when you're walking in fullness in the kingdom of God, the Holy Ghost within you will tell you where not to go. You ain't supposed to be there today. You'll feel what the old folks used to call a check in your spirit. Look at y'all. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But we used to be taught about obeying when we feel a, a check or a resistance or something holding us back in our spirit. When you're walking in the kingdom of God, you're walking in divine protection that the enemy cannot kill you before it is your time to go. But if you got one foot in and one foot out, it's a toss-up, baby. I've seen some incredible people, some Christians that love God. Gone way too soon. And people cry at their funerals and say, where was God? Where was your other foot? You know what the scripture means? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not it's because when you lean you get more weight on one foot than you do the other when you lean you get more foot he said I don't want you lean and lean not get in or get out in revelation he said I wish you were either hot or cold but because you are both lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. If you can't read the headlines and have the sense that we are living in the last days, you are blind. These are perilous times as it was in the days of Noah. And there's an ark. you can't be outside on the deck gotta be in here I've done my assignment stand to your feet and give the Lord praise
This is for the 25%. And that's it. The road's a dangerous place. About six weeks ago, or seven weeks ago, Pastor Coco was with me. I went to go preach for one of the greatest pastors in this city. Incredible man. Pastor Warren Beamer. Never seen somebody love and live out the Christ life the way Warren Beamer's lived and loved. And we preached for him. And the power of God fell. Pastor John and I were ministering together in the altar, praying for people. It's beautiful. He dragged me by the collar. Pastor Warren did over to the side of the church. And he blessed me. He said, I just want to give this to you and your wife. I said, Pastor, you don't have to do that. I'm just honored. He said, no. He said, I want to bless you and your wife. And I turned to leave, and he grabbed me by the back of the shirt. And he said, no, 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 wait. He said, I also want to send a special offering to your father. He said, because your father will never know. He'll never know what he meant to me in my life and how he helped me. He said, I just want to honor you. I went home and told Katie that the next major, large national conference we have here, I was going to have Warren Beamer. And two weeks after I preached for him, he was making a lane change in his daughter's Mini Cooper. And when he turned out of one lane, there was a truck in front of him. When he turned out of one lane, he didn't realize that an 18-wheeler was stopped. His car went underneath the 18-wheeler, and he was killed instantly. I've been spending the better part of two months trying to unpack that. Road's a dangerous place. Here lately, the air has become a dangerous place. With how many people we've lost to bacterial infections, lung disease, pneumonia. I know a pastor in this city, a young man, 44 years old, fit, strong, goes to the gym, runs on the treadmill, eats right. Got pneumonia, not COVID, just got pneumonia. His wife talked to him the night before. He said he was feeling better, ready to come home. At 2 a.m., he died. This life is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. The flower fades, the grass withers. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you are not right with the Lord, and anything from the word today penetrated your heart with conviction and you've you've heard something 
about yourself in the word. You've seen something. Jesus said, ears that, that hear, eyes that can see. That's the first and most powerful step, but there's one more that you need to take, and that's the step of repentance. Inward belief and outward confession, public acknowledgement of an inward decision that you've made for Christ. Jesus said, if you confess me openly before men, I'll confess you openly before my Father. If you are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. If you're in this room, and if your life would be required from you, on the way home, or maybe tomorrow afternoon, or maybe Wednesday, or maybe in the next 30 minutes. If you're not right with God, I want you to come to this altar. Find yourself a place. Kneel down, repent, and get it right, and fix it today. Whoever you are, this is your opportunity. Come get things right with Jesus. Come get things right in your heart. Come get things the way you know that they need to be. He sent this word to awaken something in you, to rouse you from your slumber, to rouse you from your deafness, to rouse you from the dullness of your heart. If that is you, this is God reaching for you. This is God going after you. This is God calling you. This is God saying, come back to me with all of your heart. Come back to me with who I called and destined you to be. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Come out from where you've been. I've called you to more. I've put a standard over your life. It's a kingdom standard. It's a standard of the way I design things to be. I want to restore you today. I want to bring you back today. If you're in this room, come. It's for you. If you're in this room, come. It is for you. Repentance is the easiest thing in the world. It's God, I see it now. I hear it now. I know I'm wrong. I know I need change. I can't fix myself. Will you help me? I see it. Help me turn. I see it. Help me make the changes. I see it. Help me change the lifestyle. I see it. Help me turn to heaven. I see it. Help me get both feet where they're supposed to be. Help me get myself where you designed me to be. Restore me to your original intent. This is your time. This is your time to pray. This is your time to pray. This is your time to pray. Oh God, hear our prayer. Oh God, created us a clean heart and renewed the right spirit within us. Oh God of heaven. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of our blindness, willful blindness, willful deafness, willful rebellion, our willful steps we took away. Forgive us of how we pushed over your conviction. Forgive us how we pushed over the leading and nudging of your spirit. Forgive us of our absence. Forgive us of disconnect. Forgive us. Somebody else needs to come. I'll wait.
you told me to do. Now I ask that you move among your people. Give them the words. Give them the actions they need to take. Give them the decisions. Help teach them in the way.
Yeah, just, just keep playing that right there, Lawrence. giving you time. Say what you need to say. praying if you still got words you need to say but I want to read one scripture over you that fixed David or I want to read you the prayer that he prayed that fixed him oh my heart is yours forever listen listen Psalms 86:11. David in a, in a bad time, in a bad way, in a bad place. David said this. He said, "Teach me your way. Show me how to do it in your kingdom." Folks, that's repentance right there. That's repentance right there. My way ain't right. 
So teach me yours. Teach me your way. Teach me your way, O oh Lord. I will walk in your truth. Verse, next verse. Unite my heart. For everybody with a divided heart, that's what David had. And he prayed this, unite my heart to fear your name. Lord Jesus, thank you for hearing my repentance. Thank you for hearing my words that I brought to you. I pray now that you unite my heart to fear your name. Teach me your way. Live in me. Lead me and guide me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. I receive now my cleansing. Your word promises it. Who am I to deny it? Even to myself. I receive now my forgiveness. Hey, I receive now. I felt something break right there. I receive now my forgiveness. I feel it right there. I receive now my forgiveness. I receive now the removal of condemnation. I receive now the devil is a liar. I receive now the devil is a liar. I receive now my freedom from guilt and shame. And I stand in the kingdom of God. I lean not on my own understanding. I lean not on my own understanding, but I trust in the Lord with all my heart. Give him praise all over the house. If you still need to pray, you can pray. And nobody's going to bother you. If you still want to pray, you can pray. Musicians are going to play. If you still want to pray, you pray. Nobody's going to bother you. Nobody's going to come bug you. Nobody's going to come try to mess with you. Leave them alone. If they want to pray, leave them alone. Heart is yours forever. Boy, it'd be a shame, wouldn't it, to be in this kind of move of God? have his presence touch us like this and not bring an offering to bless him to bless his church to bless his work to bless his name Did you get an offering in your hand if you're in your seat if you're in the altar and you want to stay stay but if you're in your seat get an envelope in your hand let's honor the Lord my heart is yours